Welcome to the Cosmic Savannah with Dr. Daniel Kanema and Dr. Jacinta Delhaize. Each episode, we'll be giving you a behind-the-scenes look at world-class astronomy and astrophysics happening under African skies. Let us introduce you to the people involved, the technology we use, the exciting work we do, and the fascinating discoveries we make. Sit back and relax as we take you on a safari through the skies. Alright, so we have a special event. Yes, welcome to episode 16. We usually release an episode every fortnight, but we're going to make an exception this time uh, after one week because we want to release this on time for... The transit of Mercury. Yes. What is a transit? It is when an object goes between us on the Earth and the Sun. When is this transit going to be? So on the 11th of November this year, 2019, visible over most of Africa, Mercury will pass between the Earth and the Sun. We'll be able to see a tiny little dot moving in front of the sun. Not with your naked eye. Don't look at the sun with your naked eye. Don't look at the sun. Don't look at the sun full stop. Don't, especially don't look at it through binoculars. In case you're tempted, you will not be able to make out Mercury. It's very, very small. Only a few thousand kilometers across. So 190th the size of the sun. So you really wouldn't be able to see it anyway, even if you had a, uh, eclipse glasses or something like that. So if you would like to see the transit of Mercury, visit your local observatory or observing group where they will have the correct equipment and you can have a look there. So now that that's said, <laughs> I did speak to uh, Dr. Niraj Ramanujam, who is a commissioning scientist at the South African Radio Astronomy Observatory, but he is also an avid outreacher and he is coordinating the transit of Mercury events across Africa and trying to get uh, as many telescopes as possible, looking at the transit in a safe way. So we spoke to him about what this means and uh, how you can best observe this exciting event. And yeah, he goes into a lot of detail, so let's just hear all about the transit from Niraj. Today we're joined in studio by Dr. Niraj Ramanujam. Uh, so Niraj is from the South African Radio Astronomy Observatory, Sareo, and the Public Outreach and Education Committee of the Astronomical Society of India, of which he's a member. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the Cosmic Savannah, Niraj. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Like New Year. Before we get into it, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be here in South Africa? Uh, so I'm a radio astronomer by training. And before this, I was in uh, India working for the National Center for Radio Astrophysics, which runs a telescope a bit similar to Meerkat here called the GMRT. Uh, I've also been involved in uh, astronomy outreach and education for many years when I was there. And uh, at some point, I like to keep changing countries. <laughs> I like to move around. I guess that's that's the that's how astronomers are. And therefore, I thought I've been to South Africa a few times before for visits for work. And when this opportunity came up, I thought it'd be a nice place to come and spend some few years here. So here I am. So how long have you been here? Oh, uh, oh, five months. So it's been fairly new. And what exactly are you doing at Soraya? I'm a commissioning scientist which means that uh, I look at data coming in from Meerkat telescope and uh, look at the data from the point of view of an astronomer and try and figure out if data is fine. If it's not good, then what's wrong with it? And the fact that I'm an astronomer by training helps in the sense that I know what the sky should look like or how the data should look like. And therefore, 
we look at sources we already know well we look at objects in the universe we know well already from previous observations from other telescopes and therefore we use that knowledge to to debug the telescope if you wish so that it can become much better at what it does and therefore other astronomers can come in and use it to do the science they want to do and we're getting there with meerkat right yes Yes. Great. Um, so we're not uh, here to talk about that today, although it's very interesting. We have spoken about Meerkat a lot in, in the past. Mm-hmm. Today we're here to talk about a very exciting event happening on the 11th of November. Yes, this year. This year in 2019, uh, a transit of Mercury. Mm-hmm. So what exactly is a transit? Right. Uh, so I think all of us know eclipses, right? Uh, the sun and the earth and the moon, if they align in a straight line, if the moon comes between us and the sun and hides the sun, you have a solar eclipse. If the earth comes between the moon and the sun and hides the moon, uh, or a shadow falls on the moon, then we have a lunar eclipse. These are fairly well known. Uh, and because the moon is so big in the sky, it can cover the entire sun, right? Now, if you look at what other objects can come between us and the sun in the solar system, there are only two other planets, right? The Mercury and Venus, because they are the ones whose orbits are within the Earth's orbit. Now, therefore, if if the paths, if the orbits align align correctly, which happens every few years, then you could expect Mercury or Venus to come exactly between us and the sun. In which case, if you're looking at the sun, image carefully, you'll see Mercury or Venus go past the sun's disk. Much like, uh, for example, you know, if you look at the setting sun, you might find, let's see, birds or aeroplane passing in front of it. Same way you would find Mercury or Venus passing in front of it. It would, of course, take a few hours for either of these planets to go in front of it. And what we're going to have on 11th November is the transit of Mercury, where you're going to see Mercury take around five and a half hours to pass across the face of the sun, as seen from Earth. You you mentioned that these events happen every few years. How how frequently do they occur? Okay, uh, so they don't occur at regular intervals uh, because you have to look. You have, you have to consider the the time it takes for Mercury to go around the sun, the time it takes for Earth to go around the sun, and then for the for the orbits. The orbits are inclined with respect to each other and therefore they don't align in regular intervals. For example, the last Mercury transit which was seen from Earth was in 2016 in May. And the next one which will be seen from Earth and will be visible from Africa as well is in 2032. So the Mercury transit, there's a pattern to when it occurs, but they're not every few years, right? So it it could occur, uh, the November transits could occur every 7, 13 or 33 years and the May transits could occur 13 or 33 years. So there is a pattern to it, but but that's not periodic. So the next one will be in 2032. The previous one was in 2016. And why are they occurring in May and November? So that's interesting. If you look at the solar system as a 3D model, the Earth goes around the sun in an orbit, which is in a plane. Right, in a, you can define a surface in which it goes on. Mercury goes around the sun as well, but its plane of orbit is inclined to the Earth's plane of orbit by around seven degrees. Okay. Now, if you look at, uh, if you imagine two gigantic sheets of paper, if they, if they, if they intersect, they will intersect along a line. Right. And therefore, when Mercury and Earth are on the, on either or on the same end of this one line is when you get a transit. Right. And if you look at when, which months of the year does Mercury and therefore as seen from the Earth, the Sun come on to the, on this line, which is intersection of the two orbits, it's either in May or November. 
Okay. Uh, it's a bit similar to why we do not get a lunar or solar eclipse every full moon or new moon, but only every now and then when they exactly match. It's, it's it's the same principle as why we have transits of Mercury and Venus only every so many years and why they occur on, on certain months or certain days. In terms of these transits, I know that he, right here at the, the observatory in Cape Town uh, back in 1868 on the 4th of November, there was a transit of Mercury observed from this site. In terms of astronomy, why are these transits important and what what is there to be gained from observing a transit as an astronomer? Oh, I'm happy you asked the question because that's what excites me about the transit of Mercury, apart from the fact that you know, it, it's a beautiful site. Uh, I myself saw a transit of Mercury when I was in high school uh, in India and uh, it was it was lovely. So I knew exactly when it was going to come into the come across the sun and I was waiting with my friends and then one of us saw it first and we all were excited and then we could follow it. We marked the spot on the piece of paper every half an hour. You could see the planet moving, right? We, we kind of look at the sky or we look at the sky charts or you read the news and you're, you know the planets go around the sun. You read about Kepler's laws and Newton's law of gravity. But this is an occasion where you can actually see a planet moving. Uh, you know, every few minutes you can see it move, literally moving in front of you. And that's that's an amazing sight. You know, that's, that was very inspiring and motivating. Uh, I just want to add that in because I think the reason people should go and see the transit of Mercury is you can actually see a planet moving you know, around the sun and I think that's, that's really amazing. Uh, apart from that, uh, historically, looking at transits of Mercury and Venus were incredibly important in astronomy and this is for this reason. Uh, you might have studied Kepler's laws in, uh, in school. Basically, uh, Kepler kind of came up with laws of how the planets move around the sun, right? And uh, this was before Newton's law of gravity. So it was based on observations. Now, you, based on his laws, people knew the relative distances between objects in the solar system. For example, people knew if you take the reference as the Earth-Sun distance, for example, people knew the Mercury-Sun distance as a fraction of the Earth-Sun distance. People knew the Jupiter-Sun distance as a fraction of Earth-Sun distance and so on. So all distances within the solar system, which if you remember, if you if you recall 200 years ago or 100 years ago, was the entire universe for them in some sense, uh, were known relatively, right? So people knew... If Earth-Sun distance was one meter, of course it's not, then Neptune-Sun distance was so many kilometers or whatever it is, right? But people did not know what the absolute distances were. They did not know how big our solar system actually was. And, you know, and you can imagine this was one of the big questions in astronomy at the time because almost all astronomy was done within the solar system. The stars were known to be very, very far away, but it was too far away to measure. But people did not know how big a solar system was, right? Until... Kepler, in 1631, predicted the first transit of Mercury, which was observed by Gassendi in Paris. The second transit of Mercury that was observed was by Shackley from India in 1651. The third was observed in 1661, and the fourth uh, was observed in 1677 by Edmund Halley himself, of the Halley's Comet fame and Newton's great friend, right? Now, what Halley realized is that you could use the transits of Mercury and Venus. If you time them accurately from many parts of the Earth at the same time, you could then use these measurements to, to measure the actual absolute size of the solar system. It, it works in this way. Uh, it's basically what we call triangulation, right? Uh, if you if you you know if you held out your finger in front of your face at arm's length and you closed one eye and looked at which faraway object is your finger in front of 
and then you close the other eye and open the first eye and then looked at which object it is in front of it would move right so it occur it it would if you see the finger in front of different objects basically because you're seeing it from different different eyes right this is called parallax the fancy word for astronomy is parallax therefore if you know how far apart your eyes are which i'm sure you do and you know how far how how long your arm is and therefore how far away your finger is you could and if you measure this angle you could in principle you know get other distances in this triangle and this is just basically high school trigonometry and uh, we use this for you know in many many things right we use it uh, in in surveying land for example the way we map out land is by triangulation right you have a triangle you measure you know one side and two angles you can get the third the distance to the third point basically that's what it is right now halley realized that uh, the earth is big enough that if you stand in two parts of the earth very very far away let's say a few thousand kilometers away and you look at uh, the path mercury takes across the face of the sun these paths are slightly different just as the the distant object in front of which your finger appears different for two parts of your for different eyes in your in your head right so imagine that the, the head is now the entire earth the two left and right eye are two spots let's say in africa and europe and the finger is is mercury and the distant object of the sun so that's exactly what he did so he realized he he showed through calculations and published a paper saying look you can do the same thing on a, on this grand astronomical scale you can measure a triangle as big as a solar system and if people in these two places uh, measured the exact time mercury entered the sun's uh, disk they could then measure the distance between the two eyes or the two observers on the earth and the finger which is mercury right and once you do once you get that you can then because you know the relative distances between all objects in the solar system you can then solar system you can measure the absolute distances between any two objects in the solar system so that was a grand project of halley and therefore uh, he then told all he kind of appealed to all the european governments to do this measurement therefore every time there was a transit of mercury or venus anywhere visible on the earth uh, you know countries like england france and later us and so on would send astronomers across the earth to measure the precise moment mercury or venus would enter the sun's face on the sky in order to measure the entire universe and that is why these transits have been historically important and in fact for 200 years the only method we had to measure the universe known at that time was to measure the transit uh of course uh the 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 unfortunate side of it is that uh, these grand expeditions which were the probably the first examples of international collaborative science experiments were made possible because of colonization therefore they had access to various parts of the world uh so 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 that is true in south africa too for example a transit of mercury uh, was observed in cape town in where we stand now at the observatory on 5th november 1868 uh from grahamstown uh, on 10th november 1894 and from johannesburg on 14th november 1907 right these are transit of mercury uh, uh the 1907 mercury transits were also observed by european astronomers uh, from the drc and from mauritius too because remember they were doing it from across the globe transits of venus are a bit more easy to observe because venus is larger in the sky than mercury and therefore there were a lot more expeditions for example in the 1761 transit of venus that is like you know so long back mason and dickson observed it from the concordia gardens which is behind st mary's church in cape town right yeah. and the 1882 transit of venus was observed by many in many locations so so uh, uh, england and the us sent astronomers 
uh, along with the European Origin astronomers in South Africa to many locations in South, in South Africa. So they observed it from, of course, the, the Royal Observatory of Cape Town, which is the present SAAO. Uh, also the Natal Observatory in Durban, in Taos River, Aberdeen Road, Wellington, Worcester, Mart Martis Fontaine, Beaufort West, uh, and so on, right? And some of the telescopes they brought to South Africa to observe these transits are still in use in this observatory, including the six-inch Grubb equatorial mount, equatorial telescope, and so on. Uh, and till you know, uh, till late 1800s or the early 1900s, when we developed other methods of measuring distances accurately, this was the only method available. And and at that time, when people started measuring the distances to nearby stars, they based it on the knowledge of the distances within solar storms. So, in fact, these transit measurements were used to build, as it were, a ladder or a scaffolding to measure distances out to nearby stars and then to faraway stars and the whole galaxy. Now we have independent ways of doing it accurately. But at that time, this was the building block to measure uh, the entire cosmos. So essentially calibrating the universe based on a transit of... Exactly, Mercury. exactly. And in fact, uh, if on the this 11th November transit, if you were to uh, time the transit uh, start, uh, let's say from Somalia and Senegal, you would find a difference of timing of roughly one and a half minutes. Okay. And is this one and a half minute difference that astronomers tried to measure for 200 years, right? And therefore, if you have a really good telescope, a professional telescope or amateur telescope with, with computer controlled, uh, you know, drive and so on, uh, in the eastern part of Africa and the western part of Africa, then you should say hello to each other, collaborate, <laughs> time the transit of Mercury, uh, and the difference is like a minute and a half, which you can easily measure these days with your clocks. And then you can yourself measure the distances uh, between the Earth and the Sun, Earth and Jupiter, and so on, yourself on the 11th of November. Which would be an amazing school, university exactly, project. Exactly. Very cool. Uh, I actually pulled out the the monthly notices of the mm. Royal Astronomical Society book from yes. 1868 the other day to have a look at the, the paper. Uh, it was and, by this guy called Mann. William Mann, yeah. Because yeah. uh, I wanted to see what telescope they used and whether mm. it was still here. It is still here. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so Mercury transits and Venus transits therefore have historical importance. You know, I hope that some universities would make this measurement again in a, uh, on 11th of November across Africa because it is in in some sense it's also very nice to imagine that it's only by collaborating across countries that you can measure the cosmos, right? And and it's by yourself you cannot do much. It's only by talking to astronomers in totally different countries, you know, different cultures, speaking different language, but using the same tools of science that you can do something as profound as, as uh, measuring the entire universe. Astronomy really is the best science. <laughs> yes, that's why I'm here. <laughs> uh, and in terms of what you can see with the transit of, of Mercury, obviously Mercury is a lot smaller than the sun or, mm -hmm. or even um, the moon when it's projected uh, onto yes. the sun. So for, for an eclipse, the, the moon and the sun are roughly the same size, which is why we get an eclipse. Mm -hmm. But for Mercury, it's certainly not the same size. Yes. Uh, so this transit on 11th November, Mercury is going to be around 190 times as small as the sun as seen on the sky. Okay. Uh, it is going to be a really, really small dot, which is why if you want to see this transit of Mercury, you would need to magnify the sun's image in order to see this really small dot, which is 190 times smaller. And the way you magnify your image is sun's image is through a telescope. And therefore you need a telescope 
to magnify the sun's image to let's say a foot or half a foot a uh, 30 20 centimeters a uh, big uh, uh, circle so that you can see mercury going across the face of the sun clearly so obviously uh, you won't be able to see it with the naked eye even through eclipse viewers uh, your eyes won't be able to no you will not uh, you would not be able to see it uh, even through the eclipse glasses some of you might have but at this point and i'm going to come back to this point again and again let me say that you should never look at the sun with the naked eye uh, anyway uh, especially uh, during a mercury transit you might think it's like an eclipse therefore let me look at the sun directly you should not do that you cannot look at the sun through any optical device you should never look at the sun any time of the day or during the transit through any lens or binoculars or telescope at all but there is a very very safe way of seeing the transit and i'll talk about it as Abs- we go back absolutely yeah. i mean i think that's something which we will definitely make a a strong note of uh, we don't want anyone to get damaged <laughs> anyone's yes, eyes yes. to get ruined by this this particular transit when exactly does it kick off and you said it lasts about 5 hours it's on the 11th of november and the times Uh, so let me for give the timings in south african time which is sast uh, equivalently central african time and then i'll talk about how it is in the rest of africa as well now this transit of mercury is special because it can be seen from all of africa so it's an african transit if you will right uh, it the mercury is going to start entering the face of the sun on the sky at uh, 235 pm 235 in the afternoon uh, south african time it's going to take 5 and a half hours to go across the face of the sun and exit right the middle midpoint is going to be at 5:20 5:19 pm really and the end point is going to be at 8:05 pm now of course the sun is going to set much before 8:05 pm and therefore you won't be able to see the full transit from south africa uh you would be the sun sets in cape town at around 7:23 pm and in johannesburg around 6:30 pm right so you're going to be able to see a bit more than half the transit from south africa a little bit more from the western part of south africa compared to the eastern part of south africa because as we know the sun sets later and later as you go more westwards right uh but then uh, because sun sets later and later as you go more westwards the eastern parts of africa itself will see less of the transit compared to the western part of africa and therefore if you are in uh, for example you know ethiopia somalia one of those eastern parts you would be able to see the transit till a little before halfway through before the sun sets for you but if you're going to be on the western coast uh, let's say you know guinea or senegal you would see the entire transit before the sun sets for you but the important point is that wherever you are in africa you're going to be seeing at least half the transit which is going to be around 2 to 2 and a half hours right so that's why that's why it's a really nice event for african people to kind of get together and 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 see will there be events i mean will there be telescopes uh, around the continent for people to go and look because as you said you can't look with binoculars not by yourself uh eclipse viewers you won't be able to see it so you're going to need a telescope with a real solar filter in order for the public to see this. So this isn't going to be a an easily visible thing to most most people. They're going to have to seek out some location where there's a telescope set up particularly for this. Uh, do you know if there are events uh, planned around the continent? So this is not something you can just go out and see for yourself. You need a telescope. But even with a telescope, how do you see the transit, right? Remember you're looking at the sun. Uh some of us in high school have done this experiment where 
you know you take a you take a magnifying glass right you take a convex lens from your physics laboratory and then you focus the sun onto a piece of paper and within 5 seconds what happens to the piece of paper it starts burning right now imagine that lens to be a much bigger lens and your eye to be where the paper is your eye will melt right and therefore it's an incredibly dangerous thing to look at the sun even for a fraction of a second through any optical telescope directly right the sun's rays as focused through any lens or mirror should never enter your eye ever it will it will cause you blindness or permanent damage having said that what do we do right astronomers have been seeing the sun for centuries galileo himself saw the sun through his telescope right what you do is that you make the telescope look at the sun you make sure the telescope has no plastic parts because the plastic is going to melt in the sun's heat uh and then you focus the sun's image onto a piece of paper kept let's say half a meter from the eyepiece right and then you look at the image of the sun which is on the piece of paper now there are many advantages of doing so one this is completely safe right uh because the sun's rays are going to hit the piece of paper but it's going to be a focused large image so the image would be 20 to 30 cm wide it's not going to be focused onto a point like when you're burning a piece of paper and then you can you can look at the sun's image very clearly in fact this is exactly how uh using a pinhole camera by the way uh and later of the telescope uh you know galileo and others discovered sunspots on the sun surface they discovered the sun rotates around this axis every roughly a month and so on so looking at the sun through projection this is what we call the projection method you focus the sun's image in onto a large piece of paper kept a distance from the eyepiece and make it you know and the farther away you move the paper the larger the sun's image is is the safe is a completely safe way to do it as long as you make sure that while doing this focusing nobody gets in between the eyepiece and the paper and looks at the sun by accident the other advantage of doing this for something like the transit of mercury is that this piece of paper is going to have an image of the sun which is let's say 30 cm big if you're going to have a large public gathering of let's say 100 people no a lot many many people can look at the mercury transit at the same time so it's a public event right uh, therefore this is a very public way of of looking at the transit together if you some telescopes might have solar filters uh, these are special filters you put on the front of the telescope to block out enough sun's light that you can see through an eyepiece now we do not know how good your solar filter is going to be we don't know how old it is and what quality it's going to be so we do not recommend that you use some solar filter you might have lying around therefore we recommend very very strongly that you only use the projection method to look at the sun for the to to look at the mercury transit on the face of the sun both because it is extremely safe and also because many people can see it at the same time now having said that uh, you might wonder how would i do this because i have no telescope or even if i have a telescope i do not know how to project the sun safely uh, therefore what we are what we are advising is that you go you find a find a a uh, amateur astronomy club or a university or a school or a planetarium or a science center near you and you go pester them to organize a public event mm-hmm. with the telescopes they have because they will know how to see the sun safely and show it to people safely you poke go pester them to organize a public event for the transit of mercury and make a public call and let, let all of you your family your friends to go and see the transit of mercury with them now what we are doing from our side is we are uh, we are giving a public call to people with telescopes uh, who know how to use them with you no know, this includes science centers and planetaria amateur astronomers across south africa and also africa 
to tell us what telescopes they have and if if they would be willing to organize a public event and we're going to make a list of these uh, public events people are volunteering to organize and we'll make them public uh, on a website and social media so you can then look at that list and know if there's something happening around you but we also encourage you to go and you know best of people like i said uh, locally so who's we so in south africa there are a bunch of us who do astronomy at outreach and education uh, and we are kind of trying to organize this across the country uh, sarao where i'm from is is trying to do this with uh, the nine countries involved in the ska avian the square kilometer array africa whale by a network partner countries and to contact you know contact people we know there and see if uh, and kind of uh, work together to organize public events in all of these nine countries the african astronomical society the afas which is formed recently is also doing a similar exercise across all countries in africa so there are parallel efforts happening and we hope that uh, there are quite a few events across the continent uh, on 11th of november where you could go see the transit of mercury safely uh, with your friends and family And obviously here in Cape Town in particular will there will be a few events going on. I know SAO will be organizing an event yes, and definitely. and we'll have details of all of these events uh, available on the website and social media. So if you want to just follow us or uh, also on the the podcast website we'll be yes, make, yes. we'll make sure to to post some details of where you can see if if you want to get a, access to a telescope. Yes. Niraj, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks a lot uh, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. I, I think that uh, I'm really looking forward to the transit. Yeah, uh, we will certainly be letting you guys know about uh, events that are happening. Keep yes. an eye on the social media and on the website. Yeah, and and, and do pester your local university or, uh, or, or science center with telescopes to organize a public event. Yeah, or the or the amateur astronomers who uh, are, yeah, especially amateur yeah, astronomers. They're yes. very knowledgeable about these things. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and they've been doing this for a long mm. time. They know exactly how to do it safely. So again, uh, let me end with saying uh you know make sure you're safe when you're seeing the tran- transit do not look at the sun directly through any optical instrument at all uh during the transit or any time else absolutely uh, i don't think that can be stressed enough we really don't want somebody to lose an eye over this exactly niraj thank you very much thanks thanks a lot Yeah, so a very exciting event and it was great to speak to Niraj. The next one is only in 2032, so if you can try to see it, it would be great. I am actually going to try and live stream it from here at the observatory. Uh, I still need to try and set that up, but I'm trying to I'll try and get it going on our Facebook live. So, if you do want to try and see it, uh follow us, the Cosmic Savanna, we'll be retweeting and posting things. uh but also the SAO just at SAO on Twitter uh, and we'll send links as to where you can observe super awesome and can you actually see this transit from any other continent uh so very south in europe but mostly africa oh really it's a true african transit oh. very exciting event yeah that is very exciting so i have to definitely take a look at that i'm glad that you're live streaming it that'll make it really easy to see and uh do you have any fun facts about mercury i i know it's incredibly hard to get to mercury which is not what you'd expect uh there was a, about a year ago there was this pepe colombo mission launched where they're trying to go and send a couple of things into orbit around mercury and i remember at the time not really understanding why it was so hard to get there because you think 
the sun is a massive gravity well and you can just fall in there, right? But it's actually not the case because the Earth is spinning very fast around the sun, orbiting very fast around the sun. So what you've got to do is slow this spaceship down a lot. So when you want to speed a, a spaceship up and you want to get it to Jupiter or Saturn or something like that, you do these gravity assists where you fly past a planet like Earth and you get a little bit of energy. But what they're doing with the Bepi Colombo is flying past the Earth and Venus and losing energy. So they're using them to slow slow this this craft down, which I thought was quite cool. I thought it was something which I'd never really thought about. That is cool. That's a really fun, fun fact. Thanks. <laughs> it's a bit more fun than mine, actually. My fun fact is that um, if you were on Mercury, you would weigh only 38% of what you weigh on the Earth. So you don't need to go on a diet, just go to Mercury. <laughs> also, a day on Mercury is much longer than a year on Mercury. Oh, yeah, good to know. Yeah. So a day on the surface of Mercury lasts 176 Earth days, but a year takes 88 Earth days. So it's going around the sun a lot faster than it's spinning on its axis. That is interesting. Yeah, that's a little fun, yeah. fun fact. <laughs> okay, I think we'll wrap it up there. But if you are interested in seeing the transit, uh, Google, follow us at SAO and at the Cosmic Savannah, and we'll make sure to keep you updated on where and when you can see it. And don't look at the sun. And please don't look at the sun. Guys, really, it's not a joke. <laughs> we really don't, don't. don't choose this thing to rebel against. No. <laughs> you will end up blind. Not, not this time. <laughs> and that's it for today. Thanks very much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next episode of The Cosmic Savannah. You can visit our website, thecosmicsavannah.com, where we'll have links related to today's episode. And you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Cosmic Savannah. That's Savannah, spelled S-A-V-A-N-N-A-H. Special thanks today to Niraj Ramanujam for speaking with us. Thanks to Mark Olnut for music production, Yana Spring for the astrophotography, Lana Serai for graphic design, and Tabisa Fikalepi for social media support. We gratefully acknowledge the support of the South African National Research Foundation and the South African Astronomical Observatory to help keep the podcast running. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to help us out, please rate and review us or recommend us to a friend. And we'll speak to you next time on the Cosmic Savannah.